0: What up, what up, what up? Welcome to the second episode of the Rod and Reel podcast. I'm Rod Beard, sports writer for the Detroit News, covering the Pistons beat, and all things NBA as well. Going to have an exciting show for you with the preview of everything going on in the NBA. Got a wonderful reception from the initial episode of the podcast. Just want to thank people for the support. Spread the word. Let somebody else know. Again, the format of this is... Mostly NBA, mostly Piston stuff, but then also some other things that just slide in there. DFS, obviously a big following that I'm trying to develop and get more information out there. But on the show today, we'll have a breakdown of what the Blake Griffin injury news means, a roster breakdown of each player, and some key takeaways from the preseason heading into the regular season that begins against the Pacers and a back-to-back for the NBA schedulers. Thanks for that. A nice road home back-to-back so I'll be hustling back to Detroit for the second game of the back-to-back as well. I've got an interesting interview with Ed Stefanski, the senior advisor to Pistons owner Tom Goris and for all intents and purposes Stefanski is the president of basketball operations or general manager or however you want to term it. just doesn't have that title and I asked him about the long-term future and balancing that with the immediacy of trying to win now and what the front office looks at that and decides they want to do. Also asked them about load management for guys like Blake Griffin and how they're going to look at that with having him available for the regular season into the playoffs, if that's what develops from the Pistons this year. And then just looking at young players like Sekou Domboya and what do you do with bringing them along, again, in that sense of trying to balance winning now with trying to prepare for the future. Look into some Eastern Conference and Western Conference predictions and what the eye test shows just from the preseason, what some rookies to look at might be, and then do a nice DFS overview for the Pistons and some guys to watch, some guys who want to keep an eye on as you start your DFS activities for the season. Got a good road story from a couple of years ago I want to share with you. But we'll start out with the Blake Griffin news. Just as the regular season was about to begin, the Pistons released a medical update stating that Blake Griffin would be out until early November where he'll have that knee reexamined. His hamstring had some soreness, too. That limited him in the preseason to only the first two games, but it felt like something else wasn't right. Yeah, the, the road games in that preseason were back-to-back on the last two games. No, you don't want to put him through that But he had been limited in practice this last week before the regular season also, and that raised some antennas and some red flags that maybe there was something else. This release confirmed all those rumors, said that Blake is going to miss, we'll call it eight or ten games to start the season. It says early November, and if you look at the schedule, five games to finish out October, and then in that first week of November, there are four games. So you'll call it conservatively, eight to ten games, maybe give them a few days to get back up to speed. So it's a big chunk of games to start the season out. And I think I said last week, too, that the Pistons had one of the easiest schedules in the league to start things out. And looking at it, they open with the Pacers. They play the Pacers again next Monday. The only big teams in that first stretch of games, they got the Sixers at home on Saturday. They play at Toronto on October 30th. The Nets game at home on November 2nd, a a team that's going to be in the playoffs, more more or less. And then the Pacers again on November 8th. So up until that, those are the only real playoff teams that you can look at and say, eh, maybe they'll lose a few of those anyway because those are better teams, higher in the, the rankings from last year. But the Pistons needed to have a good start to the season and still need to have a good start to the season. Without Blake, that's going to be called into question whether they're able to do that. And I hinted last week, too, that if this season doesn't start off well with them in a playoff position once you get around to January, somewhere around the trade deadline, this whole thing could be dismantled. That Tom Gorris, the owner, has said they want to be competitive. They want to try to be right there and improve on a year-to-year basis. But what do you do if you get to – let's say February 1st and you're at two games below 500 are you going to keep this thing together and the thing that's hovering over all of this is Andre Drummond has a player option for next year 28.8 million not that you're necessarily going to turn that down unless you're Andre Drummond and you have other options out there and again that's probably the only reason why Andre Drummond would be turning it down is because he feels like there's a better market there are better options out there where he can get 30 35 million from another team that still remains to be seen but if your ownership and if you're this front office that includes Ed Stefanski Malik Rose Pat Garrity you have to start wondering what's it going to take what's the tipping point for hitting the reset button on this whole thing and starting over you're right there rubbing up against the luxury tax line. I think I I saw something from Bobby Marks that it was $3,000 less than the tax line. That gives you very little margin for error in something goes wrong, you need a 10-day contract for a guy, and you end up somehow in the luxury tax. You can get out of it by making trades and doing other things, but they are very much about as close as they can be uh, to the tax line without going over. And creating some other issues by being a tax paying team which by all accounts they're not going to do unless they get a transcendent type player if you're going out and you're getting Bradley Beal yep going to the tax do what you need to do but it doesn't look like anything like that is on the horizon for Blake Griffin also it means maybe there starts to be some question about his durability again the 75 games last year was a revelation for him but it also showed They really ran him into the ground toward the end of the regular season. He missed the last five games there, the first two games in the series against the Milwaukee Bucks. Not that it would have made a huge difference, but still you want to have your best player when you open your playoff series, and that's what you predicated everything in your season on was having Blake available, and he was not there to start that thing. What it also means is maybe a change in the way that you run your offense. In those first two games where Griffin wasn't there, Luke Kennard was in that starting lineup. They needed another facilitator, ball handler. Kennard was able to do that. You can move Bruce Brown to that second group. And certainly with this roster construction, with Derrick Rose there, you're not lacking for offense. There are other options there, and Markeith Moore, some other guys, where you can move your roster around a little bit. But certainly in that starting group, you want to have another ball handling guy. Alternatively, with the jumps that Bruce Brown has made, maybe he does stack – stay within that starting framework and he can facilitate a little bit more again what we've seen has been summer league and preseason so that's some indicator but it's not saying automatically Bruce is going to step in and have that same effectiveness as some of the more seasoned guys would have with the ball in their hands and trying to create offense on their own so that's something to watch is a what the starting lineup looks like as the regular season starts and b whether it's Bruce Brown, Luke Kennard, maybe they just plug and play and put Markeith Morris in that spot and just leave the rotation the same way that it is. But that'll be things to watch in the first couple of days. But the Blake Griffin news, certainly not what the Pistons wanted to hear. Beyond that, you can also go into the other pieces that Sekou Demboya had a concussion. He was in the concussion protocol, and it was an issue that happened on Saturday. Dwayne Casey said he started to feel the effects on Sunday. If you believe it at a Lions game, make all your jokes, do what you got to do with that. He didn't make the trip to Indiana for the opener. And it's unclear when he might clear the concussion protocol and be ready to step in. And again, he was going to have a limited role this year that wasn't, he wasn't in the starting lineup. He wasn't going to be in the rotation regularly, at least to start the season from all the indications that we've gotten, both from, Dwayne Casey, and from Ed Stefanski, the senior advisor. Again, it's going to be tough for the Pistons to start the season off. It impacts what their playoff outlook can be, maybe without Blake. And again, an all-NBA type year last year, with so much of the offense predicated around him, it's going to be interesting to see how the Pistons adjust on the fly and try to figure out different ways – to compensate for that scoring loss and ball handling loss. And just that leadership on the court, a guy to calm people down and get a basket when you need a basket. Looking at the roster for this year for the Pistons, I broke down a lot of it there with the domino effect of that Blake Griffin injury. But also, you plug in Tony Snell in that starting lineup, and a 40% three-point shooter seems to be what the Pistons needed. It's almost just... Uh, replacing a puzzle piece with what you had last year with Wayne Ellington, and Ellington certainly a more dynamic and accomplished three-point shooter than Tony Snell is, but maybe a more rangy defender, a guy who can guard those longer small forwards. With Tony Snell's long arms, that's been apparent in the preseason so far, is that he gets in passing lanes, he creates transition opportunities on the other end, and that's something that the Pistons need, is to be able to create scoring not just in the half court not just slowing the game down they've got to pick up their pace they've got to create some additional possessions off their defense and Snell from what we've seen so far has done that he's not afraid to shoot the ball when he gets it in his hands he's gonna get it up there that's been very apparent in the preseason already but Reggie Jackson is gonna have to be better than he was in the preseason he had a healthy offseason shots just weren't falling and again. A lot of what you see in the preseason is not indicative of anything because they were playing 16 guys throughout that 48 minutes they had minutes restrictions on some guys where you didn't go over 25 20 minutes for some and so you want to make sure that you take a look at everybody but as the regular season gets started some of those rotations are going to trim down a little bit Dwayne Casey has said maybe nine guys ten guys depending on the situation maybe that 11th guy gets there and gets in and gets some minutes. But again, with Blake Griffin being out for this first couple of weeks at least of the season, who steps into the next role? Are you going to see more Svee Mahayalu? Does Kyrie Thomas get an opportunity now among those big men that Thon maker picks up some of those additional minutes at power forward? How much do they leverage Marcus Morris Marquise Morris's minutes? How many times am I going to call Marcus Morris instead of Markeith Morris? That can be one of your side bets. The over-under is once per podcast. I probably do it once per story when I write, type Marcus instead of Marquis. Anywho, that uh, they're going to have to find minutes in the front court, and thankfully for them, they were able to retain Christian Wood on the roster. He earned that 15th roster spot. That was the part of the news this week, is that Wood stayed on. His guarantee starts the first day of the season, and they parted with Joe Johnson to cut down to the 15-player roster limit. And that was a difficult decision for them. That was something that Dwayne Casey said was one of the hardest things he's had to do in his coaching career. And that was the tug of war with Christian Wood and Joe Johnson. Obviously, two different positions. They weren't competing with each other on the floor that you can look and say. Christian Wood had a better statistical preseason and that's the way they decided everything. This was, they bring two different things. Christian Woods level of activity his post presence he can play both the four and the five Joe Johnson on the other hand playing the three and sometimes the four in a smaller lineup from the eye test it wasn't even close but there are other things that the Pistons were looking for very clearly from Joe Johnson and his veteran savvy veteran experience that would help in the locker room but that's more a luxury than anything else you've got Derrick Rose you've got Blake Griffin you've got some other vets there who bring some of that and having a guy like Joe Johnson is just an additional piece you don't need more of that necessarily if you've got those other guys projecting that the way that they should but Christian Wood certainly happy to be on a roster to start the season when you look at his career in his four years he hasn't played more than 20 games for a team so he's been a little bit hidden and unproven to a degree but everything that we saw in the preseason suggests that he was ready for this opportunity we made it man that's 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 all i gotta say we made it got that big grin on your face it's it's not having played 21 games in a season in your career does this feel like you can at least feel a little bit comfortable to start the season for sure for sure you know it's definitely a sense of comfortability going in there uh I have a great opportunity, like I said before, with Casey. Um, I have a great opportunity to get back on this before with Dre. Blake's going to be handling load management this year, so I got an opportunity to play and possibly start. So I'm ready for that. When you look at what he did in the G League last year and previous years, he's right above that. So he's somewhere in between a G League guy and a bottom-of-the-rotation guy, if you look at his past. But when you look at what he did this year, he – Flourished on the floor. He made you notice him. He he made baskets. He did things that other guys weren't doing, and he might have a very least similar skill set to Thon Maker. But he's a guy that I think that's going to flourish given opportunity, given minutes. Certainly, with Blake Griffin's injury, he's going to get more opportunity and more minutes. Also, had an opportunity to talk to Pistons senior advisor Ed Stefanski this week and. Ask them some questions about the future of the franchise, the young players, and whether there's that pressure to break this team up if things don't work out this year with the new players they brought in and making it to the playoffs. Here's a clip of that. What about the mix of of some of the young guys you drafted last year and and that you're still developing? Was it a big priority to get that veteran core to go along with that, especially in the second group? Yeah,
1: I mean, we're, we're, we're trying to win
0: and be a playoff team.
1: And at the same time, we're trying to develop, which is, it's two difficult things uh, to accomplish when you are trying to be a playoff team. But so far, so good. Uh, we like our young kids. Uh, we've put a lot of time, effort, and money into development. Uh, and, uh, you know, so far, in one respect, it has paid off a lot with Bruce Brown. Uh, Bruce is the, well, I don't know what, a 40-some pick, 42nd pick, or whatever it was. Uh, now, Starting for us, being a big contributor, um, we're happy how his progression. now. we got to see uh, Tyree's been working hard, and, and, and Steve, and the trade we made with the Lakers, uh, you know, will they get an opportunity? And chance? I, I think that's the big word, is opportunity. It's hard to get that opportunity when you do have a veteran club.
0: We've talked about load management stuff, and and certainly there's going to be some of that with Blake and, and trying to make sure that he's healthy when you come down the stretch. Is that really the way the league is going now? And I know other sports are starting to do it too, is just managing and making sure their stars are available when they need them. And maybe Derek gets a little bit of that treatment too, just to make sure you don't want to get let down when the postseason rolls around.
1: Yeah, I mean, in a perfect world, I agree with you on that. Uh, I don't know if there's been enough years of evidence scientifically to know what is the perfect load management situation. Sure. You know, people point, uh, everyone's going to point now to Toronto and what happened with Kauai. Right. But that doesn't mean it's scientifically they figured out uh, a lot of good. People in the NBA and sports itself uh, say there's not enough evidence to figure out what is the perfect scenario. So we'll be trial and error with you know say Blake because we we really like to have Blake uh, in the later part latter part of the season, uh, but it's going to be trial and error.
0: In a in a very generic sense, is it playoffs or bust for this um, this roster? Where if the, if you don't make the playoffs this year, that you really have to make some sweeping changes to really get the pieces in, and contracts and everything else factor into that. But is the, how how important is this year in maybe what the long term future of this group is going to be?
1: Uh, you know, I I, I wouldn't speculate on that. As I said, my first. I think the first question and answer was, we're trying to do both simultaneously, which is a difficult task. So we're trying to make the playoffs, and we're trying to develop. So far, so good. Uh, last year, making the playoffs, and Bruce Brown develops into a very nice player. So can we continue to go down that route? Uh, you know, we didn't have a first-round pick with Bruce and Kyrie. Now we got Sekou, uh, who we're high on, but he's, he has the worries. He's not going to be 19 until Christmas. So um, we have to just trial and error with him and, and, and be patient. That's the hardest thing in the NBA is to patience. But with uh, Sekou, we have to be patient. He shows glimpses and practice of wow. And now can we get a consistency out of him? And the coaching staff are working very hard with him on that.
0: And looking at Sekou, I, I, I think we see that wow factor, too, of what he can be moving forward how hard is it to be patient with a guy like that where on one hand the fans want to win now and and do everything else but you've got to sort of have your feet in both buckets of saying it isn't push all the chips in for this year and do something now we've still got to um, plan ahead for next year and the year after in the coming years when this team could look completely different
1: well one always is a a
0: front office
1: looking at the future and looking at a big picture and trying to figure out where we will be in those two, uh, three-year pal. The coaches are in a different uh, way, which they should be. They're looking to win the next game. They're trying to beat Indiana opening night. So uh, two different areas. You just try to merge them. uh, we're fortunate to have a coach in Coach Casey, who I have a, you know, a, a long-standing relationship with, and, and you know, a good. We can discuss things and and work things out. Maybe not always. Uh, he and I totally agree, which you shouldn't. We have good discussions, and with State Two, uh, you know, when we drafted him, we knew he was, and we said it early. in the... Uh, publicly that uh, he's going to take time to come around, and we'll see. But we didn't put any time in, but we, we made a point that, that this year, uh, early in the season, we didn't expect him to be uh, in that kind of rotation. Now, if he keeps playing well in uh, February, March rolls around, who knows? But uh, uh, we're not going to throw him through uh, the
0: through walls. Some good stuff there from Ed Stefanski in and- looking at the direction that they're going, how they're developing the young guys, and that there is a level of patience. You have to have patience with what's going on and not just say, hey, you've got to do things a certain way or you've got to have these players contribute. And you can't throw away the baby with the bathwater and say just because they didn't have a good year or maybe Sekou isn't going to have a year that fills the stat book that he's a bust automatically. Some of these things take time to develop and you can look at, Bruce Brown, a guy who wasn't picked to do very much of anything, just a fringe guy, but he took the opportunity by the horns, and he's a guy who is starting 57 games last year and is certainly an integral piece of what the Pistons are trying to do. Let's shift over to looking at the NBA as a whole and the Eastern and Western Conference predictions. A lot of shifting in the free agency market where you got Kawhi Leonard that moves over to the Western Conference. A lot of that balance of power moving over to the West. But I think you're going to have a very dynamic and very interesting season when you look at the West where that number eight seed is a team that's going to have to battle to get there. That's not going to be... It's not like previous years where you just cut it off and you knew who maybe the eighth seed was and then the ninth and tenth, those guys are going to scuffle and try to figure out if maybe they could have something for that eighth seed. This is going to be a year where... The eighth seed and maybe even the ninth seed are going to have winning records, and it's just the team that plays the best down the stretch is going to be able to clinch that final playoff spot where they'll probably get swept out by the Clippers or the Lakers, whoever ends up getting that number one seed in the West. For my marbles, I like the Clippers. I I think defensively they can do things that the Lakers just can't. When you talk Kawhi Leonard, Paul George when he comes back from that so shoulder surgery the, at Patrick Beverly in the backcourt you can guard anybody it, it's not going to be you have a position of weakness on the perimeter or even in the frontcourt Montrez Harrell gives them another tough presence in the post that I just don't see where a team is going to be able to bully them around they have so much defensive flexibility that even you've seen in past years that Patrick Beverly has tried to guard LeBron, for example. So if they've got that, Paul George and Kawhi, you've got something for just about anybody. It doesn't matter if you're Steph Curry, we can put Patrick Beverly on you. If you're Anthony Davis, they've got somebody who can fit the mold and defend them at a high, high level. And I just expect defensively on a night to night basis, the Clippers are gonna be a team that you just can't mess with. You're not gonna have players going off for 40, 50 points. And when you can limit that, and put an elite defensive player on the other team's best player every night, it's going to make it tough for teams to go into Staples Center and get a win or certainly on the road to try to hold serve and do what they need to do against the Clippers. I like the Lakers as well. My bigger question is outside of LeBron and outside of Anthony Davis, what else do they have that's going to hurt you? Certainly LeBron is going to be on some type of load management he's not going to play all 82 games, just not going to happen. It's not how that works with LeBron, but he's already said he's going to defer some to Anthony Davis. He's going to make Anthony Davis an MVP type candidate. And that's going to be intriguing to watch because LeBron certainly can take over games. And we know that he certainly can prop up other guys and make them very, very good. He just hasn't needed to because he hasn't had very many of those guys outside of his Miami stint and If you look at that time in Cleveland, if he wanted Kevin Love and and Kyrie Irving to be the main focus of the team, he could do that. He just hasn't done it as much. So this will be an interesting dynamic to watch with LeBron James, Anthony Davis. And then who's that next guy? Who steps up for them when Kyle Kuzma comes back? Can he be a transcendent type player? What role do you have for Avery Bradley and... Rajon Rondo. I mean, those guys are going to have to play much bigger roles than what they're used to. And yes, everybody falls under the LeBron tree and under the LeBron umbrella. But how does that top two dynamic work? And then how does that cascade down to the rest of those guys? I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. Golden State, certainly not the same team without KD. Some of the whispers around the league were that Clay Thompson was not going to be available this season. I tend to think he'll be back somewhere right around January, February. I think that was a little bit overblown. But even still, can that team be the same without KD? And Draymond Green, if you read the lips and if you remember that clip, they don't need him. Well, this is the time now to prove what exactly they are and what that dynasty was without Kevin Durant. And certainly it's going to be hard to tell this year without Klay Thompson, at least for half the season. But the Warriors might be one of those teams that are playing very well and end up somewhere down in that six, seven, eight range if they don't play well in their new home in San Francisco. That they're going to be struggling to make the playoffs, and that's just so weird to say. A team is like Golden State is going to struggle to make the playoffs. D'Angelo Russell is going to be good for them, but then is that something that's going to stick? Do you have all three of those guys, Curry, Thompson, and Russell, when? the playoff time comes back around. Are you going to shift Clay Thompson over to small forward and run like essentially a three guard lineup with those three guys, but that's something that you you want to watch with Golden State if they'll be there. Certainly in, in the West also, I like Denver and Portland. I think Portland getting Hassan Weisside is going to be a big change for them, a big help for them that they have a reliable post presence while Yusuf Nurkic re- Turns from his injury. And even when he comes back, if you've got Whiteside coming off the bench or Nurkits, however they decide to play it, you've got a a stronger team that will look to take that next step forward from that Western Conference final last year. And I think that experience is going to help them significantly. But then what do they do? Can they step up and get another big win in the second and third round of the? Western Conference Finals is going to be something to watch. I think Damian Lillard and McCollum in that backcourt is going to be very interesting to see that level of growth with those guys, and if they can carry that. The West in general is just going to be tough on a night-to-night basis, trying to go out and get wins. Again, if you're unfamiliar, teams in the same conference play each other three or four times, and they play a cross-conference two times, one at home and one on the road. So in the West, it's just going to be every night that you're playing a tough team because there aren't those weak teams that there had been in previous years where Phoenix you knew was tanking, Sacramento just wasn't going to be good. I mean, even the Kings bringing back Buddy Heald suggests that they're going to be in it for the long haul and there just isn't going to be anything easy. Maybe the Thunder are a team that is on the outside looking in. The Grizzlies, I expect a nice step up. Dallas looked good in the preseason with Porzingis and Luka Doncic. I think with Tim Hardaway Jr. there too and Boban, they have the pieces to be a much better team. If they were in the East, maybe a playoff team. But again, with what Denver showed last year and haven't even gotten to Houston with Russell Westbrook and James Harden and all of those pieces, the West is just going to be a knockdown drag out. And I'm here for it. I'm I'm ready to watch – And see what that's going to look like. The Pelicans without Zion Williamson is going to be something to watch too that it is, how much do they predicate what they're doing on Zion and what are the other pieces there? We know from that trade with the Lakers where they brought in just about everybody else Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram that the Pelicans are going to be situated now where they have some pieces. It's more than just one revolving piece around Drew Holiday and what was Anthony Davis. Now they've got an actual roster that can help them and can do some more explosive things. How much does that take to put together and develop some chemistry with those guys? That might be the only question. I like Utah as well. I like what they were able to do in bringing in Mike Conley and the pairing with Donovan Mitchell and the other pieces that they had from last year makes them another team that, I mean a five seed a four seed could the jazz be up to a three seed even the middle of that western conference standings when you get to the playoffs the three four five six seeds is going to be so fun to watch it's just so many teams that are right there that as we get through the regular season we'll get a sampler of it but when you get to the playoffs it'll be just must see viewing to see what these series look like as they advance from round to round Move over to the Eastern Conference. I think there's a little bit less to talk about. We know that the cream of that crop seems to be the Bucks and the Sixers and everybody else after that. The Raptors certainly weakened by losing Kawhi Leonard in the offseason. But we didn't see Toronto coming through last year. We thought they had a chance. We didn't know how much Kawhi would impact and carry that team throughout the playoffs. But – Boston's a different team now. They could be right there in that same mix. What I think changes them is losing Al Horford and some of that veteran dependency that they had on him. The playoff picture, again, I think it's three teams. You can throw the Nets in there. I like what the Nets did, and it's not just Kevin Durant, but it's bringing back a lot of their young guys, the Kyrus Leverts, giving him an extension, Spencer Dinwiddie. They put their money down, and they went out and got Kyrie Irving, what that's going to bode for in the future and how they mix that in when Durant comes back next year. I think they'll be very well positioned to be a, a, a not just a contender, but one of the stronger teams. DeAndre Jordan right there, and it moves Jared Allen to the bench That among their big men. I really like the Nets. I think they can be a third seed or a fourth seed But them hosting a playoff series with their revamped roster, I think is going to be really, really good. And then look at the Orlando Magic, too. They have been wallowing in mediocrity for quite a bit. And now their young guys are starting to put it all together. Aaron Gordon had been there. Nikola Vucevic had been there. But now you're seeing Jonathan Isaac come into his own. I think he could be a most improved player type candidate that, At seven feet, he can be out there and shoot from three. He can get to you in the post. He's a rim protector. Mo Bamba, another guy on that roster, another seven-foot type guy. So they can move all of those guys around and play the the three, the four, and the five with some size and some shot-blocking ability that's going to make it difficult for teams. The only real issue with them is going to be, from a guard perspective, what do they have? Is DJ Augustine the answer to – their long-term needs in the perimeter, and then what other pieces can they get? Maybe at the trade deadline, maybe they decide Vucevic isn't the piece that they need, and they want to deal him and keep their younger guys. How, what does that look like? How do they piece all that together? And so there'll be a team to watch as you go through the season. What does that look like? Do they add another backcourt piece? Is Evan Fournier the answer for them too? A lot of intriguing questions to go along with that but in the east I think it's going to come down to the Bucks and Sixers again the question with the Sixers is do they have the experience do they have the ability to advance past that next round can they get to the NBA finals it's going to be tough i i don't know what Joel Embiid can do from a health perspective. If he's, he's going to play 75, 80 games, there's always that question lingering over him. Sixers did a good job, too, of bringing back Ben Simmons and solidifying their core. Tobias Harris can step into a starting role as the one of the main scorers with Jimmy Butler gone. They're going to depend on him a little bit more. And them adding Al Horford, again, is going to make them a lot better, gives them more flexibility in that front court when Embiid goes to the bench and maybe even play those guys together a significant amount and just give teams fits in trying to deal with their size and skill level in the front court. Miami Heat, adding Jimmy. Butler is going to be something to watch, too. I think that's a team that's in flux, and that right around the trade deadline, may be able to do something different, too, and add some pieces around Butler. And Tyler Hero, their rookie, that's another building block that they were able to add, But again, a guard-heavy team, what do they do with Justice Winslow? What do they do with Bam Adebayo? Are those permanent pieces for them, or are those trade pieces that you can maybe bring in something else? And I like the Knicks. I think the Knicks will be pretty good. Same thing, knocking on the playoff door, maybe up to an eight seed, seven seed, depending on how all those pieces come together. We know they got Marcus Morris and Reggie Bullock, former Pistons, but... What do you do after that? What other pieces, how are the, is all of that going to fit together with R.J. Barrett, their first-round pick? If all of that starts to meld together, they can be a team that makes some noise. And then the question marks, what does Atlanta bring? Do all of those young pieces start to put it all together? I think when it all shakes out, the Pistons fit in there, again, depending on how this Blake Griffin injury thing goes. I think they're somewhere around that 7-8 seed. They can get to 43 42 wins which should be enough to get them in the playoffs this thing can go wrong very very easily they can easily slide down and be a team that's right outside the playoffs and as I alluded to before if they're out of the playoffs this year Drummond decides to exercise his player option and he's out then you've got to wonder what's left with Blake Griffin what's left with the young portion of this roster and do they decide hey let's just dismantle this whole thing and figure out a different direction to get some more assets and reset this and maybe be good again in three, four years, whatever the timetable may be before that. And I know the tanking people will be happy with that. That's something that has been bandied about for a couple of years now. What's the next step for the Pistons? Try to contend and be an eight seed forever or blow this thing up and start over completely. And you might get your answer to that. If things continue the way that they're going with the injuries and the decisions that still need to be made. Moving over to the DFS overview for this year, again, I'll try to add little pieces of this to each of the podcasts and give you something to look at or something that I've observed. But I'll focus on the Pistons this time. And what I like about this roster is some of the the younger additions that they made in the offseason additions. I mentioned Christian Wood making the team with those additional minutes that he's going to get more than likely. I think he's a guy who can be in line for a double-double, somewhere close to that. So you have to check your FanDuel or DraftKings and see what the salary is on a night-to-night basis. But he's a guy who could come in and give you that off the bench. He's not a starter-type guy, but someone that you look at, hey, you've got this last roster spot, and maybe he's around the 5000 mark or somewhere in there, can he deliver if his salary is 5000 on DraftKings? Can he give you 20, 25 points in fantasy? Maybe. Depends on the opponent. Depends on the minutes he's going to get. But at least initially, if he's around $5,000, i would say it's a guy you strongly, strongly look at. And we'll get an indication once the first few games of the season starts out. But if you're looking for an under-the-radar guy, I'd look at Christian Wood. Andre Drummond is going to be the headliner, and his salaries fluctuate so much that in the preseason it's hard to gauge anything but let's say he's 12,000 on Draftkings. what do you do with that? I think you go with that on Drummond. I think he can give you somewhere around last year was seventeen points fifteen rebounds, but with Blake Griffin out now, I think they can flex what Drummond can do and let him play on the perimeter some more. Assist-wise, maybe he gets up to somewhere around three, four assists a a game. I think he did that two years ago in that All-Star year, that last year with Stan Van Gundy, that once they put him out on the wings and he initiated some offense and he was at the hub of that, he showed some passing ability. Yes, the turnovers are going to be up a little bit. And no, it doesn't impact what he's able to do from an offensive rebounding standpoint. He still finds a way to get to the ball. So... We're out of that stage of experimenting with him and three-pointers and whether that's going to be a valuable addition in DFS. I wouldn't count on it, but the assist numbers could be up one, two points a night, and that might be something to consider. And they might look to him more in the pick and roll with Reggie Jackson or with Luke Kennard if he ends up joining the starting group, that Drummond could be a little bit more valuable, but not significantly. I think he'll have an all-star type of year, but I don't know if he's going to explode and be very much more than he has been in DFS the past couple of years. I like Markeith Morris too. If he's going to step in that starting lineup and take a lot of those Blake Griffin minutes, I like his skill set. He is going to give you a three point shot. He will rebound for you. And the hope is that he can get back to where he was two years ago in terms of his production, but he's just like, And here's where I can use it. Marcus Morris, except he's more of a post presence. So can you expect 10, 12 points, six rebounds as a starter? I think that's very, those are very reasonable numbers to look at Markeith Morris. But again, a lot of this is predicated on what the decision is. And we won't know that until they start the season and start to figure out what all of this looks like. And then Luke Kennard is the other one. And I touched on it earlier If he moves into that starting role with Blake Griffin out, his numbers are going to jump significantly. You look at what he did in the playoffs last year. He averaged about 20 points a game. His three-point shots were up. He was a better facilitator. It's just going to be, again, what this looks like in the first couple of games. And if Dwayne Casey makes a knee-jerk reaction to Blake Griffin being out and trying to figure out different ways to generate offense, and he thinks Canard can deliver that. Derrick Rose... I think he's going to have another year similar to last year. I don't know if he gets up to 18 points and four assists or anything, but I think he'll thrive in that role with the Pistons coming off the bench and being that sixth man. Again, he will not start. That's not going to happen. It's not from a minute restriction perspective and just a health perspective. Him in that starting role just doesn't fit at all. Everybody I've talked to has said that from the franchise that's not where they wanted him to be that's that wasn't the intent when they went out and signed him is to have him in a starting role it was to be the engine of that second group and I think that's where that's going to go and then another under the radar guy you keep an eye on is Bruce Brown and with his facilitating with his handling the ball a little bit better can he finish at the rim that could take his scoring up to possibly double digits but I wouldn't see a significant increase from him, maybe just a little modest increase in what he's able to do from a DFS perspective. But defensively, he's earned that sp- starting spot. But offensively is where DFS people care. And the minutes will be there. The offense may be there. It's just what happens beyond that and what more can he give you beyond what he did last year. I want to get to a road story from a couple of years ago, and this is, one of my favorite ones because it also dovetails into another thing that I like or or might be known for. And that's the hashtag start writing. And that started when I was covering the Michigan beat maybe 10 years ago now, eight or 10 years ago. And it's always as a beat writer, you have to figure out when you can start writing your game story and stop paying attention to the action on the floor as much. And so it was just a thought of, When can I do that? When can I start writing? I don't remember which game it was that Michigan was playing, but I just came up with start writing as a hashtag. And it's caught on. It's been a thing that I've taken a lot of pride in because I've looked around and people have tagged me in tweets that have said, hey, is it time to start writing? And it's a high school game somewhere in Indiana that people have caught on to it and they like it and enjoy it. And they tagged me just for I don't know, relevancy or or approval or something. You don't need approval. It's, It's start writing. It's a hashtag. But people have really been receptive to it. But the earliest start writing that I ever had was in 2016. It was a Pistons game at Washington. And I've only been wrong one time in start writing. This wasn't it. But... This happened in the first minute of the game. 51 seconds in the game, I said start writing because Marcin Gortat had two very easy baskets. And I want to say they were dunks in the first minute of that game. And you could tell by the defensive malaise and everything that was going on. Players were, shoulders were down, heads were shaking. And I went back and looked. It was March fourteenth, two 2016 when this happened. This Amazing, historic start writing. It ended up being a 124-81 to 81 win for the Wizards on that day. And it was toward the end of the season. that It was a playoff race sort of thing. The Pistons win this game, and the Wiz are probably completely out of it. Instead, it stretched it out a few more games. The Pistons did obviously end up getting the playoff spot. But this game was absolutely amazing. A 43-point blowout. But you knew it, you sensed it in the first minute of this game with Gortat hitting two dunks. And it was just sort of, I don't need to pay attention to anything in this game that's going on. And Stan Van Gundy, in true Stan Van Gundy fashion, came out and was just blazing everything. And the quote, I, I found the game story from this. He said, we got our ass kicked at both ends. They dominated us. I'm not going to do a lot of analysis on this. There is none. There is none. They dominated us both ends. They played hard, we didn't. They played well. We didn't. If there's a quintessential Stan van Gundy quote that's it i mean that's that's when he didn't care at all about anything and And I need to get Stan on this podcast at some point to talk about some of the stuff Stan's always good. Stan's just he doesn't care where a lot of coaches will come out and give you cliche. Stan Van Gundy is one of the few who will tell you exactly what's on his mind. And he learned to couch it later on because of the impact it had on the players that he's out there blazing us in the the interview. But it was always the same thing that you heard in the locker room and in his post-game press conference. He didn't try to clean it up very much. And there were some times that we could hear the conversation in the locker room before he came out and talked to us, and it would be the exact same wording, the exact same thing. Stan Van Gundy, absolute post-game coaching legend. This isn't the same story. This was another time in Chicago where there was a team meeting. And for media people, team meeting always means you get to ask a question about, well, is this going to turn things around or is this going to consolidate the players? Did the leaders take control of this meeting but players only meeting and team meeting is always fun but this time in Chicago Stan Van Gundy came out and I asked him about it hey Stan what do you think the team meeting could accomplish and he said team meeting my ass and it, it's one of those golden sound bites and I think I've got the video somewhere on that I wasn't expecting that I was expecting him to say something completely different and it's not like we gold coaches or push coaches into saying a certain thing, but Stan just always had a flair for understanding what the questions are going to be and to have a knee-jerk response to all of that, and that one was just gold. So you get a two-for-one. You get the start writing in the first minute of the game, and then you get the Stan Van Gundy golden team meeting response to uh, what was going on. So that's the road story for this week. It was a fun time with Stan. It's always a good time on the road, but that was one that stuck out for me that I wanted to share for this week. That's all I got for this week. Certainly appreciate everybody tuning in, taking time to listen, whether you're in your car, you're on a subway somewhere, you're on a bus, whatever you're doing, taking the time to listen to the Rod and Real podcast, episode two with our NBA season preview. Again, tell a friend, subscribe. We're on iTunes. Spotify, SoundCloud, obviously. I appreciate your coming back again. We'll have some more guests on in the coming weeks as the season's getting started. And you can check out, as always, all the coverage online at DetroitNews.com. We'll talk to you next week.